And this morning, I want to talk to you about uh, when the pressure is on. When the pressure is on, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, when the pressure is on, sometimes it's hard to keep life in perspective when the pressure is on. And what does that have to do with this? So I, I took art all through high school and, and college. I minored in it, and uh, my dad's a good artist, and I have family that uh, draw. And so sometimes it's hard to keep perspective. So if you've ever had to draw something or paint something on a, on a large wall, this is a tool that sometimes people can use. So you plug it in. It's like, a, anybody remember the overhead projectors with the transparencies? All right, great. Remember when church you had to do that? So basically, you can pick a picture and you put this on top of it. This is a mini uh, projector. You put it on top of it and it takes, there's mirrors on the inside and a light. And it reflects, when the light is on, it reflects and then projects that object large on the wall. Okay, it's not very complicated. But when you want to keep perspective, it's hard when you're going to draw a mural across the wall. You can't see everything when you're up close to the wall. You have to back up a lot to keep perspective. So it's easy to lose perspective when things get overwhelming. So sometimes you need something that when you turn this light on, it reflects and projects it so that you can keep it in perspective, okay? So you can keep it in perspective. And then once it's on the wall, it's in perspective. And then all you have to do is trace it. Trace it. I was thinking about this in regards to our life uh, as believers and even non-believers. You know, in the world today, the Bible says that the people of the world are lost in darkness. The light is not on. And they're lost perspective. There's no clarity of focus with what this whole world and what everything in the world is really all about. They can't see it. They're all up in their own little life and they can't zoom back and see everything that God has done. The whole point of everything is not in perspective because there's no light and there's no clarity of focus. But the believer is supposed to be the one in the world who has the illumination of God, who can set their life on the word and then reflect and project things in clear focus and in perspective. That's my heart, is that my life, Father, I want my life to be clarity centered on the word of God with the light on, reflecting and projecting the image of Christ to a lost and dying world, that they can see Christ in me. Because this world's so divided, there's dividing lines over everything possible right now in the world today. You can be divided over conservative and liberal, Democrat, Republic. You can be divided over uh, economic issues, divided over masks and vaccine. You can be divided over race. You can be divided over how the police should police, abortion, marriage, and it goes on and on and on. And we lose perspective when there's not the clarity of focus that there should be. And our hearts as believers should be, God, help us to be the examples of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. That's our call, to reflect and project Jesus, to reflect and project Jesus. And sometimes I've had to, uh, a few years ago, I had to, uh, I painted the Nebo pool out here for, for uh, a member of our church and and it was a little, the pressure is a little bit on because people are going to see this 40-foot wall at this pool. And so you had to always zoom back and say, is this in perspective? 
I lose perspective sometimes in the Christian life. We get in our own little lane. We do our own little thing. We get to watch in this channel or that channel or we begin to build our life and focus on our kids and we focus on our families and we focus on our career for a season. But is my life projecting Christ when the pressure's on? When someone comes up to you in your work and you and them may not have the same political views, when the pressure's on that your boss isn't treating you fairly, or maybe when the pressure's on is when your spouse and you are at a restaurant and you're out in public and you've been pushing each other's buttons all day and the pressure's on, what's going to come out of you? You ever felt squeezed sometime? I have this picture of this little, this smiley face ball. Anybody ever feel like that? It's like you got to keep the smile, but it's everything else is squeezing around you and everything going on wrong at work and all you can do is smile because you might slap somebody. I mean, right? Let's just be honest. I know you're all holy and everything, but sometimes the squeeze is on, the pressure's on, and in the middle of when the pressure's on, what are you reflecting and projecting to a lost and dying world? In front of your boss, in front of your kids, in the workplace, in Walmart, in the, the grocery store, to your landlord, what are you reflecting and projecting? Somebody say amen. amen. I want to be able to trace my life off of Jesus. If I was to look at your life in every avenue, every part of your life, what could I trace from your life? Have we been Christians who've shifted off center? Have we lost focus? What are we pattering our life after? And are we staying centered on Christ when the pressure is on? So one thing I want us to talk about today is when the pressure is on, project Christ. When the pressure is on, Project Christ. Let's go in First Peter chapter two, verse eleven. If you're there, somebody say Amen. So we're talking about being example, and then we're going to go into our example. The first part is be an example. Peter says, "Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God on the day." A visitation. That may be a visitation where they experience God for themselves or the day that Jesus comes back. But he says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so they can see uh, your good works. Even Jesus says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's one of the verses my little five and uh, four and eight-year-olds know that we say before bed sometimes. That let your light show shine, show, uh, show shine before men. Just like that projector. That it should shine upon the word Reflect it and project it to a lost and dying world. That when other people have something bad to say about you, they really will be silenced because all they can see coming out of you when the pressure is on is that you are projecting Jesus Christ. You know, uh, this Peter is telling this to a persecuted church in Asia Minor. And he's saying, guys, I know the pressure is on. I know that you may not be able to go to the marketplace. Some of you have lost your job. Some of you may be worshiping in caves. Maybe there's rumors that the government is going to come and storm our churches. I know the pressure is on when you're out there and people have disowned you and your own family because they think you're weird and you're a Christian. I know the pressure's on, but just keep on projecting Christ. Don't get caught up in all this other stuff. Keep projecting Christ. And Peter focuses on three things I want to talk about this morning, three things that we as Christians even today can apply that we should be projecting Christ. And number one is, he says, before the state. Before the state, the first one, the three S's, state. 
Uh, in Peter's day, they're about to face uh, real persecution from Rome. I said it before that just a few years from now, likely, if you fit the timeline in, Peter will have been killed by Rome. He's writing to this church in modern-day Turkey in Asia Minor. And Peter probably didn't know at that time, but just in a few years, Nero would kill him and other Christians. And after that, Paul would die. Can you imagine living in a day like that when the state is about to kill believers, some thrown to the lions, some torn in two, some, some beheaded, some put up. Nero is going to put some uh, in, on pitchforks in his garden and blame them for this fire in Rome. And Peter says, guys, look what he says. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human institution, either, whether to a king as one in authority or to governor sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Verse 15, for such is the will of God. That by doing right, you silence the ignorance of foolish people, act as free people, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, we may not face things about suffering and threats of death, but we do live in a society today of increasing lawlessness, of increasing uh, division of politics. Like I said, morality, vaccines, mass, more, you can just go on to the list. We do live in a day where Christianity is becoming increasingly misunderstood and where pastors' sermons are even today being recorded as hate speech and labeled as hate speech because of what the Bible says. That's coming. It's even increasing in this day. So how do we honor the state, the government, officials, people over us in a day like today? He says the first thing is you have to, number one, submit. He says you're to respect the office even if the man or woman in the office doesn't respect you, that God has appointed government. He says, basically, Christians, you're not to be known for all the things you're against. You're not to be known for all the things necessarily politically that you're for. What you should be known for, oh, for anything, is the good works and the good news of Jesus Christ. You know, I've said it before that we should have, as this church, no opinion louder than the gospel. No opinion. I have all kinds of political opinions. I have all kinds of moral opinions. I could go on a tirade about all those things. But then before the world today, our number one opinion is Jesus. That is our number one news. It's not Republican news or Democratic news or conservative news or liberal news. It's the good news. And he says, before the world, if they're going to slander you for something, don't let them slander you for your political ideologies or your marches in the streets and all these things, even uh, where we have rioting on one side. In some of our cities this last couple of years, then we had a rioting in the Capitol. We have all this stuff that you could get caught up in. There are Christians who are getting caught up in all this stuff. And we fill our lives with hate speech and we slander somebody on Facebook and we post about all these kind of things. And it gets us angry and you could get lost in all this stuff. He says, that's not what you're to be known for. Keep all that stuff to yourself. Talk about it to your buddies or your wife or your friends. But before the world... If they're going to bring you up on charges, let them have no reason to accuse you other than you have been doing good works before the Lord. As in, if they were to come up and say, uh, let's bring accusation against this man or woman, and they bring you before the courts, they can say, well, man, these people, what can you say about them? Well, they preach this guy named Jesus, but they're also feeding the homeless. 
They're also visiting people in prison. They're also clothing the naked. They're also helping the widows. They're also taking in strangers. They're also kind to every single person they meet. They take the slaps on the cheek and turn the other cheek like this guy Jesus said. Man, they are willingly dying in the arena. They are laying down their lives because they really believe in this guy Jesus. He says, that's how you'll shame them by your good news. You think about even the civil rights movement. Which movement really changed the tide in the 60s here in America? Was it the activism of Malcolm X or was it the peaceful protests of Martin Luther King? Why, because it works. You shame them. Because before, as the world began to watch the, the civil rights movement and the water cannons and the dogs being let loose and the beatings of nonviolent people, it shamed us. The world looked and it shamed us. And so it changed the tide. God's ways work, y'all. We don't do it the way man does it. But as we begin to shame them by saying we are doing goodness, think about even Daniel. And Daniel, uh, those in the three Hebrew boys that refused to eat the king's diet, but even in refusing to go along with the things that disobeyed God, they send in honor of the people over them. And that's why he says, fear God, honor the king. I love what uh, one commentator says. He says, think about it this way. You can obey the king until it involves disobeying the express command of the king of kings. You can follow along with the king until he disagrees with the king of kings. Be known for the gospel. No opinion louder than the gospel. That means, as Christians, if you're to be known, be known for how you're showing Jesus to the world. The state should see the undeniable benefit of the church. I think about this all the time when people begin to cancel the church in the public arena and all the things that we do for disaster relief and homeless and, and all these things that remind the world the benefit of the church being in society. That's the state. Number two, he says, what about your superiors? He speaks to household servants and who are thinking about their new freedom in Christ and they're kind of like, well, I'm a free in Christ, so how does that relate to how I can tell off my master, right? And you know, today we have this worker shortage. We have a rapid turnover in the workforce. We have people demanding more pay with little work ethic. So how do you, in this labor force, be an example? Look what he says to house servants. He says, servants, be subject to the masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but even those who are harsh to you, for this finds favor. Everybody say favor. Favor, even for the sake of conscience towards God, a person endures grief when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and, harsh, and you're harshly treated and you endure it with patience, but when you do right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. He says, if you deserve getting in trouble, it's your own fault. If you did that and you did it and you, you need to take it uh, and own up to it. But if you're suffering at work because you're a Christian or you're suffering with your landlord or you're suffering in the line at the DMV or you're suffering with customer service on the phone, whoever's above you, he says, if you're suffering, you'll find favor with God if you reflect and you project Jesus. When the pressure's on and you've been on hold for 14 hours and you want to tell somebody off on the other end in another country, Show them Jesus. Amen. There's one person going to go to heaven today. Amen. No. He says, endure everything harsh with respect. Do your work faithfully. He says, guess what? You were called to suffer. That's not a message nobody likes to hear. But he says, you were called to suffer. For Christ suffered for your sake. So you should be willing to suffer for his sake. So I don't deserve to be treated this way. My boss, he's, he's doing this or she's doing that. 
You are called to suffer. I love what one commentary says, Warren Wiersbe, he says, anyone can fight back, but it takes a spirit-filled Christian to submit and let God fight his or her battles. And you haven't, we haven't followed Christ until we start denying ourselves. Well, I'm right. I deserve to tell them my opinion. I have good thoughts. Nobody appreciates my work here at this job. Nobody understands how much I can contribute. Submit yourself to the Lord. Submit yourself to the Lord. And he says, you'll find favor. You know what that means? God is going to give you the grace to take it. There's another verse that says, in due time, he will lift you up. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, God will lift you up. Think about Joseph. The guy gets sold by his brothers, put in a pit, goes to Potiphar's house. His wife turns him in and says he did something wrong he shouldn't. He goes to jail, and he humbled himself, and in due time, the Lord rewarded him. How we project Christ before the state, how we project Christ before our superiors, you might just win somebody over for Jesus. You might just win somebody over by being an example. Next, he says, is your spouse. Your spouse. The state, how you stand before the state when the police officer pulls you over for speeding and you know you didn't speed, how you project Christ then matters. How you project Christ and your coworkers before them and the superiors around you, it matters. When the pressure's on, what's coming out of you. And if any place that the pressure is on when someone knows how to push your buttons, it's with your spouse. It's with your family. Your family knows your weakness. They know your strengths. They know every area, and they can pull it right back up. Just, man, remember that time you did this, da 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 and it can come all back out, and they know exactly how to push your buttons. He says, how you project Christ to your spouse and win your marriage before a world it's going to matter. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Peter is speaking specifically. There was a group of young women who had gotten saved in these churches who their husbands had not gotten saved yet. And there was concern that they would begin to look elsewhere or go find other. They, that he wasn't the spiritual leader I wanted him to be, so maybe I need to go find somebody who needs to be that spiritual leader. Or maybe he doesn't appreciate me and he's not going to get saved. Maybe I need to go find a new husband. And here's what Peter says for that. He says, in the same way, wives, you wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won over without a word by the behavior of their wives. And as they observe your pure and respectable behavior, respectful behavior, your adornment must not merely be just the external, the braiding of the hair and the wearing gold jewelry and putting on apparel, but it should be in the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. Sometimes we can, we can go through these things, it's, whether it be if our spouse is or is not a believer, or maybe just all of our buttons are being pushed, how the pressure can be on, what's coming out of us, of all the places. I've said it before here that, that the greatest place to show your Christianity is going to be in the home. How you are in the home is the real you. That's where Christianity really matters. The real you is the you at home. That's where everybody, you can take the mask off and you can be yourself. And how you express and reflect Christ there, you're never more Christian than you are to your family. 
And Peter and Paul both call wives in this unique position. He says, in your new freedom in Christ, still respect and honor your husbands as even unto the Lord, even if he's not a believer yet. He says, how's one way to do that? Don't just put yourself out there as physically on display, but put the character of Christ on display. Even when he's angry and he's not doing what he should, be peaceable, be gentle. Don't just lash back and and turn this into a feud. Just know sometimes the hardest thing in, in marriage is to know when to be quiet to hold your tongue. Sometimes it's just taking it and saying, God, I need you to fight this. I need you to handle this. I need you to help me in this conversation. But sometimes the buttons get pushed and it's this pop, 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 and we start throwing punches and it's back and forth. And before you know it, Jesus ain't even in the house anymore and everything's gone and there's plates are smashed and your things are on the floor. And you know, everything from the past has come out, but everything in our life is supposed to be under the blood. And this little tongue is supposed to be getting over to Jesus. And my heart should be peaceable and gentle, meek and lowly of heart, just like Jesus. So how much am I centered this onto this? Sometimes my life is like this. I'm I'm kind of half in on the word. Depends on who's pushing your buttons, how much this is centered, how much I'm reflecting. Can I trace in that moment of argument, can I trace Jesus out of this moment? Can I, have you remember the dotted lines? How can I trace him in my house when all of our buttons are being pushed? Now, to these wives, he doesn't mean give over to evil things. It doesn't mean go into abuse or, or deal with adultery. Those are all dealt with in other passages. But it means that even if our spouses are not all that they should be, we are still to show them Jesus. And you might say, well, what if I submit? Am I saying that I'm lesser or that I lose the argument? No. Jesus was equal with the Father, but he still submitted to the Father. A couple is equal both before the Lord. The Bible says that there's neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor free. In Christ, we're all equal. But even since the the fall in Genesis chapter 3, it says that to this order that God has put in this home, there even in a team, there has to be a team captain. Everything is delegated and there's different responsibilities for men and women. And this may not be a popular thing in the world today, but the Bible is clear that he set the man as the leader, spiritual leader of the home. He's a protector of the home. And and that might be not popular today, but I can't tell you, I didn't write this. This is the Bible. I'm just gonna follow it as best as I can, all right? And so he says, this is the order that God set since the fall. He says, husbands, wives, your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. That's a consequence of our fallen natures. And it's unfortunate, and we'll all be redeemed one day. But in that moment, Paul even says, don't you know that the unbelieving wife or spouse can sanctify the unbelieving spouse? The believing spouse can sanctify, as in sure, that holiness can rub off in time on that person. As long as they're willing to stay with you, as long as they're not abusing you and committing adultery, man, you can save them by your Christ-like behavior. Jesus will honor that. He says, and then he challenges husbands in verse seven. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as if with someone weaker, since she is a woman. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, weaker there is the physical side. Uh, Physically, there's a lot of women who can beat me up. I'm just gonna be honest. That doesn't mean that all women are, are weak. He's saying, as the weaker vessel, in general speaking, not saying it, anybody's less, but he says, Man, you need to give your mind to her. 
your knowledge. He says, according to knowledge, give your mind over to your wife. He says, you should dwell with her. Give your time to your wife. He says, give your emotions to your wife. He says, give her honor and give your emotions to her. And Paul would even say, love her as Christ loved the church. I would even say there's a greater call to husbands to die for the sake of their wife. Die to self and lift your wife up. And he says, why? Because men... God's not going to bless you or answer your prayers if you keep fighting with your wife because you're not showing your home Jesus. We're never more Christ-like than we are to our spouses. How are you projecting Christ when the pressure is on? It matters to know, am I centered on the Word of God? Am I meditating on the Word of God more? Like I said, this may not be popular to you, but that means you need to meditate on the Word of God more than you meditate on entertainment, more than you meditate on philosophies or take in the worldviews. Meditate on the Word of God. Settle your heart on knowing the Word of God and taking it in, and then you'll be able to clarity, have clarity of focus, and then you can reflect it, and you can project it, and the world can trace Jesus off of your life. That's your example. What about our example? Lastly is this. He says, how do you know how to do this? How do you, how do you actually do this, Pastor? How does this come out of you? How do you have so much Jesus? I don't. How do, you, how do we as a, as a body have so much Jesus that when we're squeezing the pressures on, man, that we have focus and we can give the world Jesus? He says, number one, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, to sum all of this up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, Loving, compassionate, humble, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. So, honey, when you're mad at me, Lord bless you, right? Try that sometimes. I don't know if it'll work. Uh, Lord bless you. Pray together. Worship together. Lead and serve one another. Put other people's preferences ahead of yours. He says, you are called for this very purpose that you'll inherit a blessing. You guess what? God's ways work. God's ways work. The way he says to be a co-worker works. The way he says to be a person as a citizen, a good citizen in this world, it works. The way he says to be a good husband and a good wife, even if I don't like it or disagree with it, his way works. He says, you've been called for this purpose to submit yourself to one another and you've been called to inherit a blessing. God is going to bless your marriage. He's gonna bless your job. He's gonna bless us as a community of believers. Even in the midst of suffering and persecution, we can be a blessed people. How do we do that? He says, be like Christ, even if you have to submit, even if you have to suffer, I'll bless you. Because why? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. You have been called for this purpose, even to suffer, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. Somebody say example. Example that you would follow in his steps. Because he who had no sin, nor was any deceit in his mouth, while being abused and insulted, he did not insult in return, even while suffering. He did not threaten, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. That word right there in the Greek, example, it actually means trace. And uh, my daughter is four. And uh, so we had this take-home stuff this week, and part of her take-home stuff was to take all the ABCs. Remember those, those take-home things where A is dotted, and you go, and they go to B, and it's dotted, and you have to practice tracing it. You know, at four, she doesn't always get the letters just perfect, right? There's going outside the lines, and, and they do pretty good, but after a while, you have to learn how to practice. That's the same word there. That Christ has left you a dotted line example to how to trace your life. 
I think about that, that some of us are like in the 12th grade and we're still having problems dotting the line on our ABCs. It's like, I need to go back and really practice. When things go bad at work, man, I'm not writing that A real well. Man, when my wife or my husband pushes my buttons, I need to work on my E's. Go down, swirl, and come around. And, and practice cultivating. And how does he do that? He says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, 1 Peter 3, 13. Sanctify Christ in your hearts. That means, you know what? Maybe I didn't get all my letters right today, but tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to try to dot those lines again. Man, I'm going to set my mind on Jesus. I'm going to set my hearts on Jesus. Sanctify means to be conformed into the holiness that he's left before me. Be holy as he was holy. So every day, Jesus, I'm going to practice tracing my ABCs. Jesus, I'm going to take my life and I'm going to set it on the word of God. I'm going to turn the light on and the illumination of the Holy Spirit's going to come in as I set my heart on meditating on the word of God. And as the Holy Spirit illuminates it, I'm going to begin to reflect it and project it. And maybe it's not clear and in focus today, but God, as I keep trying to draw you to the world, as I keep trying to draw you to the people around me who persecute me or they push all my buttons uh, to my landlord or to the people on the phone or to my spouse or or to my sister or brother-in-law, as people in the world maybe irritate me, God, I want to keep you in perspective. So Lord, help me today to begin to trace the outline of Jesus to a lost and dying world that somehow, someway, somebody's going to see you in my life. How are you centered on the word? We all make mistakes. We all fail sometimes in different avenues of our life. But what are you projecting when the pressure's on. Can I trace Christ in your marriage? You know, your kids are watching. People at a restaurant are watching. People on social media, they're watching. And they're not watching just how you, how, how you post the selfies. They're watching how you handle things. People at your job, they're watching. When everyone else doesn't want to do this project, and everybody else is complaining. That guy, that lady over there, she never complains. He never complains. They always have a smile. What is that? He says, be ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you. Be ready. There's someone is watching. He used to sing an old song a long time ago. It says, there's an all-seeing eye watching you. Uh, you never know who's watching. You never know. Your kids are watching Mom and dad, your kids are watching if you're fighting in front of them. They're watching how much you take them to church. They're watching how much you pray. I remember, I told someone this this last week. I remember my grandmother. She's in a nursing home in Oak Grove, Louisiana today. I remember her. She, she raised me in my first few years of my life. I remember at four, five, and six years old when she, I lived at her house during the day. I remember her taking me to her piano in the living room, setting me on her knee, and singing old gospel songs. I remember her weeping. I remember coming into the living room in her house and just, I'd be playing. I remember her weeping by herself in the living room to gospel songs. I remember my parents never letting me stay home unless I was just dying sick and we had to be at church. I remember my parents showing up every time the doors were open to church. I remember those things because it matters to be an example. 
And lastly, I'll tell you this. There was a moment, I've never been more perhaps persecuted when a time when I was uh, in a secular job working at a liberal university bookstore. And uh, this atheist and I were teamed up together, very liberal, liberal, liberal atheists, very opinionated. And as we began to work, I've never felt more uh, foolish and ignorant in my life as he began to tell me all the reasons why Christianity doesn't make any sense and creationism and abortion, all of our views. And as his everyday was just to poke you to get a rise out of you. As we began to positively dialogue, we were friends and we were cordial, but other coworkers began to listen. And we would be there and he would begin to debate me every day, every time. I almost dreaded going to work at some times because even as I explained who I was and, and what I believed in and I was a, a, a student leader on campus and I was going into the ministry and all these things, and they would begin to debate and little by little the other people joined in and were listening and listening and I just smiled and you take it and you don't get rised up and you don't get angry and you don't yell and you just take it and go and just... Just sometimes be quiet. By the end of that time there, three young men joined me in our campus ministry. Now that young man did not, but three others did. One of them today is a Sunday school leader in a local church, and the other one is a world missionary. You never know who's watching you and how God is going to use your behavior before the world to testify of the good news of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? What are you reflecting and projecting? Have you lost focus? Or is your life truly centered on the Word of God? We can get careless with how we treat one another. We can get careless. But Father, this morning, I pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room. God, that you would sanctify our hearts in Jesus Christ. Everything that we post on social media, every time politics comes up, every time something offensive happens in the workplace, God, even at home, God, as all of our buttons are pushed, God, set my heart so strongly, set our hearts so strongly on the word of God that when the Holy Spirit can come in and illuminate that moment, God, that we would be able to trace how Christ would act off of this moment. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You're here today. Is your life in focus? Have you lost perspective? Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've been drawing my life off of whatever. I really haven't had clarity of focus. And maybe today you need to get your life centered back on Jesus again. Maybe to this morning that it's just like, God, I, I don't know what I've been doing. I've just been kind of going through the motions. And, and when these buttons are pushed, it's not the nature of the Holy Spirit that comes out of me. It's this other fleshly nature.